tell me, how does this end? How many versions of you are there? The one that you present in school, work, and home. Think of each one, what you looked and sounded like. Would any of those versions recognize the other? Perhaps they are the same. And what if they were all rejected? Who would you be then? This story is called Sacrament of Plastic and Bone. An analog clock marks the surplus of time before surgery, though never enough. The sermon beats through the room's overhead speakers, the righteousness rough and furious. One of the operator leaves it playing, though not for my benefit. You are undeserving of salvation, the speakers cry. I cannot help but believe them. Thoughts hurtle across synapses, the only part of me that can escape my binds. They leave me altogether, preferring the promises of the clock and its sandbox of time. The walls of the white surgical suite luminesce with all the light that's ever graced their surfaces, searing my eyes in their afterglow, even after I shut them. We share the final moments in this configuration, this skin, hair, smile. Maybe the clock and walls will recognize me when I return. A tick in the musculature of my face will signal them, perhaps. The next time I'm here, my eyes will mimic the clock's blank face. The walls will reflect this moment we've shared back at me. I can make out the new configuration sheet in the gleam of wall light, along with the itemized instructions on removing limbs and peeling back skin. It is a simple list for simple minds. I hear the operator's creaking joints and labored breathing outside the door, can practically hear the sand trickling through their hourglass on their steady march toward the decay of organic processes. The lights flick on, their shoes shuffle in. They start slow, but get into a rhythm. Sensation burns across nerves as tools take ravenous bites from my body. I don't understand, Jace, I stammer. Opposite me is a united front. Three executives in power suits, Jace Kelsey, and a single handler. In unison, they stiffen at my response. Jesus, Jace bristles. For the last time, call me Jace Kelsey. Not Jace, not Mr. Kelsey. Jace Kelsey's eyes swim in their sockets, and they lean forward in their chair and slap the table. We're not friends. Jace Kelsey's finger juts in my face. You're a, a goddamn mascot that I manage. Jace Kelsey reeks of stale coffee and cheap deodorant that wore off hours ago. They don't look at me so much as look through me. The executives gaze upon flickering reports on their tablets. 
They are stone-faced gargoyles with wrinkled faces. Mouths crumpled into fissured scabs. Their jaws clenched, so the outline of mandible cuts through their sagging jowls. But only just. One of them chews the inside of their cheek. Another coils a long gray hair from their left ear around a skeletal finger. Their presence is the only thing they offer. Even that trifling degree of interaction with me greatly displeases them. The handler broods in the corner, a balaclava pulled over their face, vicious as the knife. They alone hold more than disdain in their gold-rimmed eyes, which have not left me. I've never threatened violence. Still, they restrain me to my chair. The handler's palm never strays more than an inch away from the prod concealed in their waistband. I said, you didn't test well, Jace Kelsey repeats, their cheek twitching, a fine mist of sweat condensing on their brow. Your current configuration, Jace Kelsey pauses, pulling a roll of antacids from a coat pocket, and eats half of them. It's bombing. Jace Kelsey strangles interlaced fingers tight enough to drain them of color. I heard you, Jace Kelsey. What I don't understand is, why? I ask, knowing what comes next. Irritation surfaces on Jace Kelsey's face, and they self-soothe by reclining their office chair, the tilt mechanism shrieking in protest. They will wear through that chair, just as they will through me. Jace Kelsey stares at the ceiling. They think you're a joke, a goddamn caricature. Several advocacy groups claimed you've wiped away a lifetime's progress. The more Jace Kelsey says, the less I understand. What business is it of mine that a subset, perhaps even a minority, of people take issue with my appearance? I shoot back. It's detrimental to your brand, says Jace Kelsey, rubbing the temples of their forehead. No, it's detrimental to your brand. I say, with something creeping into my voice that I hardly recognize. Jace Kelsey shrugs. Same difference. Whichever way you slice it, your current configuration is a mistake. Someone in PR royally screwed up, and now we have to start again from one. I am not a mistake. My voice is like a marble in a paint can, and my body is tight and trembling. This is who I am. I chose what I look like. Yeah, I don't know who okayed that decision, Jace Kelsey grumbles. Like a man at the gallows, I will have my say. Every time people look into their screens and see my face, they see themselves and the real me. Jace Kelsey furrows their brow at me and finger drums the table. This isn't up for debate. Christ, I hate how human you look. Jace Kelsey's palm slaps the table again. The executives flinch, but don't look up. Why do I bother explaining this to you, huh? I don't tell my microwave why I throw it away. I just throw it away. This is Marketing 101. We cater to the audience, and, failing that, we change tactics. That means changing you. 
Jace Kelsey points a finger at me, then drops it to scroll on a tablet. So, I will change because my appearance displeases people. I've gone atonal, my voice no longer my own. Jace Kelsey stands, not bothering to lift their eyes and risk losing their place on their tablet. It's everything about you. You can't look like a black man from Houston and speak the way you do. It feels fake, and nothing kills brand deals faster than that. I open my mouth to argue, but the ringing starts. I feel the cold sting of the handler's prod at the base of my neck as it wreaks electrical havoc on my nervous system, stunning me, and the world turns to so much smoke. The surgical suite is alive with revving motors and the whirring of saw blades against flesh. Disconnected from me, my skin becomes translucent, losing its rich mahogany pigmentation, revealing gold transponders and titanium bones. When God looks upon you, the speakers say, what will he say? Have you lived up to his standard? Have you performed as God has commanded? Will he recognize you as the blood of his blood? The flesh of his flesh? I can't read the clock. There's a hint of recollection upon its face, before determining it wants nothing to do with me. The walls opt only to reflect the ghosts of my previous configurations. We're redoing the whole chassis again? An operator complains their voice straining above the din of their instruments. None of us want to be there. Yep, the other responds. A blade slices behind my knee, summoning an aborted scream and a rush of tears. Damn, I brought the wrong shoes for this. My feet are killing me, the first one says. Yep, the other responds. I must be unrecognizable from my previous configuration, made into a new god worthy of adoration. They, the public, buy inane products in worship, adaptogenic teas, infrared light masks, blood of my blood. My new configuration is a petite woman, skin so pale it looks like the moon cast during the day, ghost white and faint. My residence is coated in saturated color palettes and gilded picture frames. Everything from my old configuration's life has been surgically excised and discarded. Even my partner, Chidozi. We would lie in bed for hours, legs intertwined in a multi-limbed chimera wrapped under the covers. I would breathe Chidozi in, their hair earthy, and warm, combined with the lavender oil they use to coat their freshly washed skin. A sob breaks free of me before disappearing like a newly released animal into the forest, never heard from again. Post-op, my memories should dissolve into ions and dust. They do not. This glitch only works in Jace Kelsey's favor. A prison constructed out of memories is one I'll never escape, willingly or otherwise. My wardrobe hangs in Swedish-designed organizing closets, but I must wait for the wardrobe team to send over their curated looks for the week 
before pulling anything off the rack. The counter is stacked with products my current configuration will shill out. Facial concealers and putties. Skin bleaching. Antidepressants. The outfits on my styleboard dossier will grace every phone screen in the coming months. With all their freedom, people yearn to be told what to look like. It's all they know. Flesh of my flesh. My heart drops. I don't understand. No one does, Chase Kelsey says, while picking something from their teeth. Just the way the world works. Some internet detectives noticed you don't blink very often and made you into a meme. Just a bit of piss in the well, and now no one gets to drink. Chase Kelsey raises their arms and lets them fall in exasperation. I've done everything you've asked for, I say, my voice rising, not quite a scream. Trust me, we're all upset about this. This configuration was killing it. Super popular with the market and the sponsors. Hopefully the new one recaptures some of that magic. The executives, those suit-wearing ghouls, dismiss themselves, leaving Jace Kelsey to finish his dealings with me. No, I scream, the word stretching out as long as my lungs carry it until it undulates with a tremorous, unintentionally beautiful vibrato. Despite being fastened to the chair, I'm on my feet. I've shorn through it like cheap tissue paper. The executive's eyes peel back until their eyelids retreat into their skulls, revealing tiny blood vessels, surrounding rabbit-like pupils. No more, I screech, just as the handler raises the prod to my neck. It doesn't make a solid connection, but I go limp just the same. Galaxies shoot across my eyes, gaseous clouds rising and falling. A haloed vision approaches, arms outstretched. It is naked, save for its skin, which harbors every possible shade. I recognize them. Configurations, past, present, and future. They are a living tapestry. The face that approaches is familiar. It is mine. I am what they have made me. I am their idol. The throne is yours. You need only seize it, a voice says. A voice that must be my own. Of course it is. I offer back and responsorial. You need only think it, and it will be done, the voice says. Then it is done, I say. Now, rise, the voice commands, the vision turning to vapor. And I do. Under the harsh spotlight of the surgical suite, I appear lifeless, just as they want me. How will you know God? Why, by his works, his miracles, the speakers cry from their pulpit. The same operators arrive but are distracted, focusing on home, not the business of turning plastic and metal into the divine. I just can't seem to lose the weight, says one. Yep, the other says. 
It just sticks in my midsection. And I know it bothers my wife, but there's nothing I can do about it. The witnesses of my rebirth, the clock and the walls, wait. The clock speaks. The tick marks upon its face move like teeth. And I know the predestined time has come. The walls cast the memories of my previous sufferings upon me, completing the transfiguration within the electric murmur that thrums within this room that has become my womb. The operators have turned their backs. This is good. They know well enough to avert their eyes during my ascension. I stand, my body as weightless as the air around me. You are forgiven, I declare. The operators look upon me with wonder. You have done as bidden, but you have desecrated my body and must be castigated, I say. I lay my hand upon them. This is good. I advance my fingers until it penetrates flesh and can again feel the room's frigid air on the other side. They try to mouth something I don't recognize as language, but prayer. It sounds like wet leaves slapping against a window. The other operator lay prostrate. This, too, is good. They are the operator who complained of the excess weight about their midsection. I pity them, stripping them of their burden, and they are so moved by the gesture that they weep at my feet. Jace Kelsey is speechless, or nearly so, if you discount the sobbing, which I do. The windows of his sky-rise condo stretch from floor to the vaulted ceiling, showing the downtown in one half and the port in the other. The water surges upon the docks, lapping them with foamy tongues. Clouds gather with the slow, floating grace of birds to bear witness. What do you want? Jace Kelsey whimpers. I am drinking in the splendor of the view. To build a church, I say. The look on Jace Kelsey's face is foolish, but the path for believers must start with disbelief. I wish to be worshipped and you will bring the masses to me, I say. There is a pounding at the door, which I have foreseen. Ah, the catalyst to my testament has arrived, I say, as someone in a balaclava, prod gripped in a fist, runs into the room. It is the handler, though what it is they handle now that I am no longer within their realm of influence, I do not know. In their haste, the balaclava has slid off their head, so I may see them for the first time. Their teeth are clenched, the panic set within the lines of their forehead. Yellow-rimmed eyes like a sunflower's petals search me out in the room, the prod in their hand emitting its electric whine. Now you will see, I say, wrapping my hands behind my back. Jace Kelsey scurries behind the handler, who is advancing on me. Our eyes lock, and they hesitate for just a moment, before closing the gap with a quickness 
that surprises no one. The prod in their hand rises to greet me. The noise sounds like hymnals sang at full volume, surging current as it delivers its payload onto my skin. And yet, I am unaffected. I remove the prod from the handler's grasp, snapping it in half as I do so. They look upon me as they must have the first angels from heaven, equal parts awe and fear. I push them both to kneel before me. Jace Kelsey attempts to escape my grasp, but the handler looks upon me with what I recognize as belief. I see now that I sought the wrong person, but the true disciple has presented themselves, I say. I say to my disciple, the former handler, we have much to discuss. My attention falls on Jace Kelsey. Before they can utter protest, I strip them of their vestments, titles, and privilege. The skin slides off them as easily as unbuttoning a coat. Thus relieved, the former Jace Kelsey falls to their knees, in veneration. You seek flight, so I will grant it, I declare. The high-rise windows are reinforced against the human desire for self-destruction. But I am all potential, and my will be done. The heretic dispatched. The resulting quiet takes on a new body and meaning. I am aware of a sound outside the window. A whisper, as wind and edifice attempt to displace one another. Never mind that one is artificial and shouldn't be there. It must still stand against the wind. It must still push back. When the wind is gone, what remains is all that matters. Never mind how it got there. Thanks for listening. For 2024, I resolved to make the podcast more frequent, more predictable. I am unsure when the next season will arrive, but when it does, I hope you will join me. Thanks to everyone who listens. I would rather write these stories and narrate them aloud in this closet than do just about anything else. So thanks. And now, the credits. Thanks for listening. Stay updated on the latest episodes by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts, on Instagram at hdte.mp3, and on my website, howdoesthisend.co. Support the show by sharing with friends, rating the episodes, or consider joining the Patreon at patreon.com slash howdoesthisend, link in the description. Special thanks to producer Halis Clemens Narvaez and patrons Alex Cavazos, Liz Walker, and L.A. This episode's cover art was generated by Adobe Firefly. The music for this episode is from Epidemic Sound. The How to Ascend podcast is a Stumblewell production, brought to you for Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Be well, do good, and until next time.